Well, good morning, Salem. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. Uh, you'll have to forgive me this morning. I'm getting over a summer cold. Um, and then Jordan mentioned snow, so I think I already have my winter cold. I'm just already, oh, man. Somebody said that the other day, they were like, like, snow's on its way. I was like, dude, don't, don't talk about that. Come on, let's go. So, um, hey, for those of you guys who, who may have known, uh, my um, wife and I and daughter uh, recently just kind of got back in from vacation, and so just want to say thank you to you guys for, uh, for praying uh, for us. It had been a while since we got in a true vacation, and it was really, really good uh, for us. We got to celebrate my brother's wedding uh, in beautiful Colorado, and we got uh, to celebrate my wife's birthday, and I won't tell you how old she is, and... And then today is my daughter Eden's birthday. So we're kind of in this mode of celebration, which is really fun. And that's going to, I think, fit well uh, today in with what we're uh, going to be talking about. So, um, but before we do, we've been in this series, just kind of a little recap. We've been in a series called Risking a Church. Why choosing uh, to be fully known is worth the risk. It's not a question, it's a period, right? So uh, our hope is that with each, each Sunday, as each week kind of moves, uh, especially in these latter weeks as we're really talking about what does intentional community uh, really look like, my hope and prayer is that we as individuals and as, as couples, as families, whoever we are, whether we're single or married or uh, widowed, that we are moving into the light and that we're finding ourselves in this, with this deep desire to be fully known. Um, and in so doing, that people are reciprocating and that we are fully loved uh, in the midst of that. And it's such a tremendous, important part uh, and yet simple thing about community that we oftentimes overlook. And so just really excited about, about this series uh, that we're in. And part of how we've done this is that we started by exploring the larger uh, biblical narrative. And so if you remember, we started with creation. Uh, and then we talked about, um, you know, so God creates and everything is perfect. And then uh, the fall is this Christian language about when the sin enters into the world uh, and ruins really basically kind of most things, right? Uh, and then you have redemption. But this is the cross and Jesus enter into the story thousands of years later and, and he brings with him love and forgiveness and grace and, and, and offers life in the midst of this. And then you have the consummation, which is this final phase, uh, this eternal life. And it's the thing that we all, if we don't pray for it daily, we probably should, right? It's, it's this idea of, gosh, like sooner or later, the end will come, Jesus will return and, and we will have eternal life. And that's going to be, that's like the awesome part. That's the best part as we get to be with him forever. So um, that's kind of what we talked about, but, but for us, just kind of setting that up, if you just, just think about it for a moment, so where are we kind of at on that timeline? We are kind of stuck in between this, this time, and maybe stuck is the wrong word, but we're in between redemption and consummation, and we don't know how long, right? Just said so no one knows that time except for the Father, right? So we don't know how long until the consummation. We don't know how long until Jesus returns. But we know is that we live here and now in between. And John 5, 24 kind of sums this up. If you look at this, uh, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, right? That's the consummation, right? That's the end. That's, that's the good, the, the great stuff at the end. That's what we long for and hope for. But it says, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death 
to life. And those two words, death and life, are really important as we're going to dive into those words as we look actually in Proverbs. Um, but as you think about this, as you think about the word life, we've passed from death to life. So here we are in redemption, the redemption phase. We've been passed from death to life. And so we've been given this new life and this new identity, and we, we get to experience all of the goodness and the fruit and the blessings of this, right? There's peace, uh, security, joy, hope, right? All of those things come uh, with this relationship with Jesus. And so there's lots of life. And yet, there's also this sense where we go, but there's still lots of death. Why is it that I experience, I still experience like uh, the reality of death in this world? And I'm not just talking about physical death, just talking about emotional, spiritual, right? Just this overwhelming sense of decay, brokenness in this life, in this world, right? We, we are t- far too attuned on a daily basis with our failures and our griefs our sorrows, all of our guilt and all of our shame, um, right? This is always, this is a daily battle. And so here's what I want to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about the idea of words because here's the reality. I think we oftentimes experience the brokenness and the death of this world through our words, through our words, Okay, so that's what we're, we're going to uh, talk about uh, this morning. So as I was um, uh, kind of digging through, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, through my office, I found this piece of equipment. Um, I think it's a cane. I don't know, but I'm going to pretend that it's a cane. And by the way, when I do this, I feel distinguished. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this. It just, I feel good. Um, but I found this, and... Um, and I want to ask a question. So how many of you guys have, uh, you, you see people who are walking around with a cane and they use it for uh, special assistance, or anybody of any age, whether young or old, who are walking with some form of assistance that they need to help them walk, okay? So I want to ask you a question. <laughs> this is kind of a funny question, but it's a serious question, and it's rhetorical, so please don't raise your hand, because I don't want to know the answer. But how many of you if you saw somebody walking with a cane who really needed it, would walk up to them and kick it out from underneath of them. How many of you would do that? Don't raise your hand. It's like, it's like the doctor, like they give you like a pill, or like take the pill, don't take the pill, don't take the pill, right? How many of you would do this? Don't answer that. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. We don't do this, why? Because this, is, this would be painful and mean, not to mention mean, it would be painful. Right? You'd see somebody fall, they'd get scrapes and bruises, and they would, they would like, get roughed up. They might break a bone, they might break something, right? And if anything, they're just, they're just hurt. And so we go, we don't, we don't do that because it's physical, but here is the truth. We oftentimes do this with our words. And the reason why we don't think about it is because we detach the pain from the physical world. We detach it from the physical falling and hurting uh, and the brokenness. We detach it from that world and we miss the emotional and the spiritual side of what words can actually do to harm somebody Right, that's the reality. And here's the, here's the truth. If, if we're really honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, okay, if we're really honest, uh, you and I, and I'm just going to maybe I should just say me, me, 
but, but I'm hoping it's you and me. I hope we're in this together. Uh, we oftentimes just don't use our words very well, right? Unintentionally or intentionally. Uh, unintentionally, at case in point, I asked my wife about this the other day. I said, Nikki, uh, do you remember a story of when I said something that was insensitive? Boom, right to her mind. Okay, that's bad. Um, she said, do you remember the, t- <laughs> do you remember the time? Um, which, which, by the way, this is a, she, when we were in Charlotte, she, she had entered into this, like, I don't, like, I don't enter is the wrong word. It's like a hair program. I don't really even know what you call this. Um, and it's called Curly Girl. How many of you guys have heard of Curly Girl? Great. That's t- three. Oh, but Nikki's, well, maybe not one. So three. That's three more than last service, by the way. I think it's a southern thing. <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, apparently, you just, you do something to your hair. Uh, daily, and it helps produce curliness, okay? It's a, it's a problem I've never thought about using for myself. Um, so, like, the, so she does this, and I totally forgot that she was going to do this, and so she came out, and she had something weird and funky going on with her hair, and I looked at her, and with, just instinctively, I said, what happened to your hair? Like, what'd you do? Like, what's, like, what? And then I, and then I got the look of, like, What'd you say? I mean, and then you're still processing because you're processing, like, it's almost like a shock. You're in shock. You're looking at this and you're like, what happened to your hair? And then you recognize that she's in shock as well. And you go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I did not mean for it to sound like that. I did not mean for it to come across that way. And yet, it oftentimes does. We do this unintentionally all the time. Please, this is a moment where everybody raise your hand because this is where I, I want to not feel alone. Nobody raised their hand. Wow. That's, I'm going to go sit in the corner. Uh, it's just me. It's just me. Why am I preaching? <laughs> uh, right? Like, we all do this unintentionally. And yet, we oftentimes do this intentionally, don't we? We use our words to hurt and to wound. There's actually another proverb that, we're gonna be, that we won't look at today, but it says that we can use our words like sword thrusts. Whew, that's graphic. Like sword thrusts, we can use that. And let's just, let's just talk about what we say. We also know that it's not just what we say, it's how you say it. Sometimes you say the right thing, but you say it with the totally wrong tone or the wrong look on your face. And all of a sudden, things change, right? It's not just what we say, it's also how we say it. And so here's what I to think about this. This is what happens. I'm convinced that this is what happens, is that in life, oftentimes, somebody will say a hurtful word to somebody else. And in so doing, what happens is that word, we draw it close to our heart, and we begin to carry it with us. I remember the first time somebody started to tease me about being bald, right, or going bald. I was 18. You don't want to hear that at 18, right? That's just not helpful, right? That's when you're supposed to be, like, out on the prowl looking for girls, and, like, everything's going away, right? And so here's the deal. So, like, like... It's, it's hurtful, and it's harmful in these moments. And when people do this, they, they use words, and all of a sudden, what it's like is like they're branding you because you're carrying this, this pain close to your heart. And, and it takes sometimes hours, depending on the word, sometimes it takes hours, sometimes it takes weeks, and sometimes it takes years to get out from underneath the hurt of the words that people use to brand us and to identify us, because that's what we do. We give other people in our life authority over us, over our identity. Why we do this, I don't know, right? It's just not, it's just not smart. You could say a word that somehow changes my identity. That's not okay. 
right? And I allow that to happen. But we do this, all of us do this in life. And so our words really matter. And, here's, and you're like, Seth, why? Why do our words have so much, um, so much weight? And I, want, I just want to, like, if you're wondering why in the world you should pay attention to your words, I just want to tell you very simply, your words have power. Whether you know it or not, intentional or unintentional, every single word that you speak has power. And that's what we're going to see today. And I don't mean this in a, sh- like a shallow way. I mean this in a very deep, connected to God and being made in his image type of a way. And so we're going to turn, if you got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs, actually, which is a book that we haven't been in really a whole lot. And so we're just going to look at one verse in the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you open up your Bible, it's, it's literally about 50%, kind of like right in the middle. Uh, so if you flip through, it's a pretty large book, but we'll be in Proverbs chapter 18, uh, verse 21. And here's what it says, okay? It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay, eat its fruits. So I just want to focus on this first word, power, right? Because that's an interesting, it's an interesting word. It's an interesting word. And you might look at this and you say, why is there parentheses yad? Well, yad is, is actually the Hebrew, those are English letters, but it's the Hebrew word for power. But here's the thing, yad in Hebrew does not mean power. Yad means hand, And so literally what it's saying is that death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Now we know that that's a funny image, right? Like like what if your tongue had little tiny hands on it, right? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something that's figurative, right? So it's talking about the power. So here's what, what I need to process is that as I'm thinking about my hand, as my tongue almost has a hand, whatever I do with a hand, it's, I'm constantly using it to do things, Right? Like I'm sifting, I'm lifting, I'm pulling, I'm pushing, I'm throwing, I'm catching, I'm writing, I'm opening, or whatever it is, right? I use my hands to do something. So every single word that comes out of my mouth is an act of this idea of doing and sifting and creating and building or doing something as if I was doing it with a hand, right? So, but to best understand this, because I want to expand on this, to best understand this, we have to, to think about this word, these words, in, 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 the, in the larger biblical narrative uh, in that story. So if you remember, right, we started with God who is eternal, right? So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who exist harmoniously in this peace, life-giving relationship where they are fully known to each other with nothing to hide, and, and it's mind-boggling to, to even think or wrestle with the idea of eternity, Right? But that's who he is. That's how he exists, is in eternity. Right? But for us, in our story, our story has to, at some point, enter into God's story. So, how does our story actually begin? Do you remember? Right? What happens is that there's God, and then there's nothing. There's nothing, which is a weird concept to think about. Right? Like when I think about nothing, it's like I'm grasping at nothing, right? There's nothing there, there's nothing there, but then I don't even have any hands, there's nothing. So then I'm like, <laughs> it's such a weird, it's a weird thing, there's nothing. And what God did is that he took nothing and he made it into something. How? With a word. That's amazing. Do you ever stop and think about this? Do you ever stop and think, just let this ruminate in your mind. God took nothing, 
made it into something with the word. Not with his hands, with the word. God is so powerful, so intrinsically powerful, it's tied to his, his entire being that with a single word, he can take nothing and make it into something. That's absolutely incredible. That's the power of a word that came out of the mouth of God. And so what we learn is that, anecdotally, is that God's a communicator, right? And I just want to, like, put in a plug for reading your Bible. <laughs> because every single time you open this, it's like, eh, I read this and it's like English. Yeah. I open this, it's God's word. These are powerful words that were spoken by God to us. This is a story about who he is and, and, and what he is doing to redeem and reconcile people to himself. He's the main character. We are the minor characters in his story. And every time I open this, I should treat it with awe and excitement and wonder and reverence because this is God's word, right? This is God's word. So we learn that God is a communicator, but guess what? You and I, being made in the image of God, we are also communicators, which means that we use words. But then the result, guess what? Guess what? Your words have power. They don't have power in the same way that God's words have power, but because he uses words and you use words because you're made in the image of God, guess what? Your words have power. And we don't stop to think about that often in our life. Like our words are intrinsically powerful because they tie us to the creator God who created and spoke things into existence with a word. And so what happens is that somewhere deep inside of us, we have these things, these thoughts, these ideas that are, that are deep inside of our heart. And when we use words, we are actually speaking those ideas into existence. We're bringing into reality, right? In a way totally different than God. We don't have the power of God, but we're speaking things into existence. And we're creating with our words. We are creating with our words. But here's the question. What are we creating because according to the, to the proverb, according to the author, what does he tell us? There's two components. He said you can either create death or you can create life. Two components. You can either create death or you can create life. Two things. Now, when we hear those words, we tend to think of them as just as opposites, which is really true. They are. There's death and there's life. If it's, if it's not alive, it's dead, right? If it's... The opposite, that's also true. And so the reality is we see these as opposites. But I want to give you a, a totally new framework. I just want to, I want to give you a bigger, a bigger framework for how to wrestle with this idea of death and life, okay? Because if you remember, when we were talking about creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, what happens in the fall is that right, sin enters into the world. And as a result, what do human beings do? Do you remember this? They, they go back into the shadows and they cover themselves and they hide and they swat and they blame and they point fingers and they accuse because this is our safe place. But because we're made in the image of God who is fully known to himself with nothing to hide, every single thing inside of us wants and longs to move forward into the light where we can be fully known and fully loved. In fact, I would argue that's probably the deepest, most fundamental longing of every human being, 
is to be fully known in all of our mess and yet fully loved. Like, that's amazing. It's absolutely incredible, the, the extravagance of who God is and, and the gospel in that sense. But here's the relational tension. Here's the new framework I want to give you, okay? So if it's true that we either are, are moving backwards or we want to move forward, our words play an incredibly important part because they either push people back into the shadows or they pull people into the light. They either encourage death or they encourage life, right? That's the larger framework that I want us to be thinking about and wrestling through. But let's understand these words in in the text, right? So the word death, okay? That's the first word that's mentioned, death and then life. So death first. Remember when God uh, placed Adam and Eve in the garden, right? In creation, everything is perfect. You have this perfect existence. Remember the, the Lego theme song? Everything is awesome, right? That was, that's Adam and Eve in this perfect existence. Everything is incredible, right? But then what happens is that enter into the story this new character, and it's the, the accuser, as he's called in the Hebrew, the accuser. And he enters in, and what does he do to challenge that perfect existence? Does he enter onto the scenes and do charades? One word sounds like... No, he enters in, and he uses words. So all of a sudden, we begin to think about the power of words. So so, it's reframing how we think about words and the power that they have, because not only did God create something out of nothing with a word, Satan enters in and flips everything upside down with the power of a word. And all of a sudden, we begin to go, man, I maybe don't think about words in this depth of a context And maybe this is really good. Maybe I need to start thinking about this, right? Because what what Satan does is he enters in with a question and then he accuses. Because his question is this. Did God say that you will not die or that you will die? But then he accuses because he says, like, basically, if that's what God said to you, he's totally lying. In fact, you will surely not die, right? You will actually become like God. And you will know good and evil. You know the difference, Right? That word, death or die, same word. Genesis 3, Proverbs 18. You see, what he's doing is that we're tying these stories together. Because what happens when I use my words, basically, when I use words that bring death, I'm entering straight back into that garden. And what I'm doing is that I'm modeling after the accuser. And I'm, and I'm following his example not God's. Do you, see, do you see the connection here? Right? This is really, really important. And I think that Adam and Eve get a really bad rep here because, you know, as far as legacies go, yeah, uh, causing all of humanity to spiral into chaos is pretty bad. Is that, what you, is that what you want your legacy to be? You spiral into chaos. Adam, what are you known for? Well, I, I just <laughs> tanked it. Yeah, I just tanked it. <laughs> right? But yeah, here's the reality. When you think about this, I, I just want you to, just to consider, stop and consider for a moment. Think in your mind. It's perfect existence. But if it were you in that moment, if you were Adam or if you were Eve, what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? Would you feel confused? Would there be any doubt in your mind? 
Would there be any longing for you to say, gosh, there might be something bigger out there than what I've been told? You see, all of a sudden, you begin to think, you and I, in fact, I would say, I know you and I would do the exact same thing. Not a single person in this room would have left that moment unscathed. We all would have done the same thing. That would have been our legacy. That would have been each of our legacies if we were in that space. You see, here's the, here's the truth, is that words have the power to shape how we view God. Because that's what Satan does, right? He's altering, he's altering that. Words have the power to shape how we view God. Words also have the power to shape how we view the world that we live in. Did Satan do that? Absolutely. And then, and then words also have the power to shape how we view ourselves. Did Satan do that? Absolutely. Right? Words have tremendous, tremendous power. And here, this is hard. This is a hard reality for us. But if we're honest, if we were to step back and look at ourselves a little bit more rationally than emotionally, we would probably see that each of us has a tendency to use words in life, daily, weekly, monthly, whatever. You and I have the tendency to use words that model after the accuser more than after God the creator. Because that's our disposition. As a result of the fall, our natural inclination is actually to speak death into the world. Even though we are designed and created to speak life into the world, like God does, it's our tendency to speak death. And so what we do is we, we speak accusations, we speak doubt, we speak confusion, we speak insecurity, we speak false hope, we speak all of these things into, into people. And when we do this, guess what? We destroy the relationship which then has a larger effect because it destroys the community when those things happen. And that's the, and really, what, really what's happening is we use our words and we're pushing people back into the shadow. Whether they want to come out, like can you imagine somebody wanting to come out and celebrate the joy of Jesus and then somebody shoving them back in? And yet we do this intentionally and unintentionally, right? That's the dark side of words. That's the death side. But here's the good news. There's also the ability and the power of words to bring life, to bring life into this world. I, I love that uh, Jesus is really the opposite uh, of the accuser, right? We know Satan, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus in John 10, what does he say? I came that they would have life and have it abundantly, to have it to the full. Right? That's what Jesus wants. He wants people to have life. He wants to speak life-giving words into people. Right? That's his thought. And he's ultimately, in John 10, talking about the effect or the reality of the effectiveness of his life, his death, and his resurrection would have on people. But what he's doing is he's using words to pull them out of the darkness and to pull them towards himself to pull them out of shame, to pull them out of sin, to pull them out of guilt, right? All of those things that would keep them in the shadows and he draws them to himself. Even when Jesus uses hard words in life, it's not to push people back in, it's because that's what they needed to be able to come to the light and to come in to relationship with him. And so here's my question. I want, you, I want to just wrestle with this for a second. If you and I, and hopefully this isn't too complicated, okay? If you and I were created in the image of God, okay? First thing, you and I were created in the image of God. Um, a part of that is that we are communicators. And our primary role as a communicator, being created in the image of God, is to speak 
life into the world because that's what God did. That's our fundamental piece as being created in the image of God. I am designed as a communicator to speak life into the world. If that's true, how much more are you and I called to speak life into the church and into the world because we have Christ? It's not just made in the image of God anymore. We now have Christ inside of us and working with us. Right? How much more are we to speak life into the church and life into the world because we have Christ? And so we as the church, we get this opportunity to speak life into relationships by, by teasing out and pulling out the image of God in people. Right? We, we enter in and we, we see people in shame and guilt and sin and we go, man, there's love, there's grace, there's forgiveness. Let me start there. But then we start to tease on those threads and we pull out the kindness, the patience, the goodness, the faithfulness, all those things that are God's character and nature, right? We begin to tease those out of each church and we, and we call those things to the surface. Really, we're just pointing people to Jesus, encouraging people to be more like Jesus. It's awesome, I love that. It's so good. So you've got death and you've got life. That's two categories. Here's my question. Shouldn't there be a third category in this proverb? Because we know that there are words that we use that lean towards life, and there are words that we use that lean towards death, right? Shouldn't there be a third category where every other word just falls into? It's just a big, giant pot, right? Right there, right? You got these words, you got these words, and every other word, right in the middle. Shouldn't there be a third category? I want to ask you this big idea. This is a, this is a big question, okay? Uh, ask yourself this. What if, what if every single word that I speak, I'm either bringing life or death. What if it's not about these categories? What if words fall on a spectrum and you have life and you have death and at any single given moment, whatever word you're using, even the ands and the thes, because every word has intrinsic power, with every single word, I'm either moving towards life I'm moving towards death. What if? How many of you would take a vow to never speak again? <laughs> yes, yeah, me. Oh, shoot. Okay, okay. I can't say that either. I can't say that. Right? We want to take this seriously, but we want to be encouraging. Right? See, then the words death and life in this proverb then speak about the, the health of a relationship or the lack thereof within a community. And this is where risking church plays comes into play, right? We have to risk some things to be able to do this, but we can become this encouraging, life-building church. I love this verse. Ephesians 4.29 uh, says this. Uh, says, let no corrupt talk, right? How much? Some? Lots? Nope, none. No corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. See, so, yeah, so, so that yeah, like yod comes back, back into play, right? right? It's this idea of building up, right? I'm coming and I build 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 and I'm building up the church. I'm building each other up. I'm building up brothers. I'm building up sisters, right? With these, these words. And no matter who is listening, even if there's a person around the corner that you don't even know about, they hear the grace. 
in your words, and in your tone. How incredible is that? That is a beautiful, beautiful message to the church. You know, in 1871, uh, I believe it was 1871, there was a fire in Chicago. And um, the uh, rumor has it that the fire started uh, because some random cow kicked over a lantern in a barn. Uh, Side note, I don't know how this happened, but the the owner of said cow totally denied it, (laughs) right? And how do you you deny that? Do you sleep next to your cow, you know? No, he doesn't, he wouldn't do that. I I know my cow, he he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't kick it. Maybe people accuse the cow because he's just good at kicking. (laughs) Who knows? But however this fire started, here's the side piece, right? Here's the kicker. Boom. Uh, Here's the kicker. I did the first service and it came, I didn't even mean to do it. And that's, uh, at that time it felt forced. I apologize. Um, so, but here's the deal. Like he kicks it and this fire starts. And because there's a drought in Chicago, the fire burns a mile wide and four miles long. Now we don't necessarily think that's a lot, but in those days, it wiped out a lot of Chicago. 100,000 people were left homeless because of this fire. Guys, here's my, here's, my, here's my thought as I, as I share that story. One, we are coming out of a, doubt, of a drought. We could call it the COVID drought, right? Because minus relationships, we didn't have a lot of that. We didn't have the context for community. But what we did have over this last year was a lot and lot of what? Words. <laughs> So many words this last year, right? This last year was one of the most controversial years in the church's recent history. I should just think about this, right? We've said this even before, right? Inflammatory comments about masks and the people that mandate them. I can't believe they would make us do that. And then we would say things about people who wear them. And then we would say things about people who don't wear them, right? We say things about the vaccine. Who has it? Who doesn't? We have words that that fuel this, right? We have one of the most heated presidential campaigns filled with more words than I care to remember. Tons of words. Supporters of Trump, not supporters of Trump. Supporters of Biden, not supporters of Biden. Right? It's on both sides. We live, on top of that, we live in a woke culture, right? With racial discrimination, right? Against those who are people of color. Right? Uh, also against people uh, of gender orientation, against sexual uh, orientation and identity. There's all of this verbiage and language and these words that are being filled on either side. And the church has played a pretty big role in this. I'm not saying Salem, I'm saying the church, whether for good or for bad, and it's because of our words and how we use them or the lack thereof. Because we're either bringing death or we're bringing life. That is the world that we live in. Remember James 3, he says, see how great of a forest is set aflame by such a tiny spark. As Nikki and I drove to Colorado, which, which we used to live in Colorado, I love Colorado, the mountains, but I'm always astonished by how brown it is. And we drove in and there's the sign that said, welcome to colorful Colorado. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? It's brown. You drop a cigarette, it's gone. The whole state, it's gone. Right? It just goes up in flame. Right? This is, this is the thing. I, I, there's a song, I don't remember who sang it, uh, but there's this line in the song. He said, here's the thing. I sit in the ashes. Just picture this. I sit in the ashes of words that I can't take back. 
right? That's the fire. Because the fire goes, and as soon as the fire consumes, what's left is ash. And here I sit in ash. The structures, the relationships are gone. They're done. All that's left is ash, and I can't take those back. Whether it's through tweeting, texting, speaking, emails, whatever it is, you can't take that back. Words have power, and they tie us back to our creator, God. And get this, Jesus said you will, you will uh, what, reap what you sow, right? That's kind of the end of this in, in Proverbs 18, 21. It says, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The word love here is the same word in Deuteronomy 6.4 when God says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And Jesus picks up on that later in Matthew 20 when he says the greatest commandment is that you shall what? Deuteronomy 6.4, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here's the deal. For you and I, we may not know it, we may not admit it, but you and I love the power of our tongue. We love what it can do. We love that it can destroy because that is a delicacy to our corrupt heart. But we also love as transformed, renewed, reborn again, right, born again believers. We also love that it can bring life and encouragement into the world and we reap what we sow. I ask you this question again, what if every single word that you use is either moving you towards life or moving you towards death? What if? What if, because you and I, our words have power, and it connects us to the creator God who communicated the world, the entire cosmos into existence with a single word. We don't have that power, but we have power. We do, lots of it. Did you know that uh, uh, it's said that the, the average human speaks over 700 times a day? Over 700 times, that's not 700 words, 700 times. If you're like, oh, I think that seems high. Half of that's 350. Well, that seems high. Maybe it's 175. Okay. Well, even if it's a quarter of what they say that it really is, 170 times, uh, what else do you do 175 times a day? Other than blink and breathe and maybe walk. Now think about the power of your words because you use them a lot. The question is, do you think about them? <laughs> do I think about them? I'm super convicted wrestling through these, just how much I squander my own words. I want to give you uh, just some practical, some practical things here, and I want to end with Cave Table Road, okay? Practical things. Here we go. One thing. When we talk about creating a culture of encouragement here at Salem, uh, listen before you talk, and here's why. Because just because you and I are created and designed to be communicators, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our disposition is without listening to speak words without thinking, which oftentimes brings death. That's our disposition is that we bring death. So if somebody asks you a question and you don't listen, all of a sudden you speak words, the chances are pretty good that you might be speaking death. Okay? So listen before you talk. Number two, okay? Remember where your words come from. Right? Evaluate your heart. Matthew uh, 12, Jesus says, right, out of the heart, the overflow, right? Is the, well, out of the mouth, mouth is, speaks out of the overflow of the heart, right? So remember where your words come from. Evaluate what's going on in my heart, which is why we listen. Number three, uh, encourage and celebrate. What if the first words out of your mouth uh, weren't criticism, they were encouragement and celebration? So much encouragement. Guys, we need so much encouragement, especially coming out of a COVID drought. 
What we need is encouragement. Can I, there's, a, there's a time and place for um, constructive criticism, but can I tell you this, is that even constructive criticism, when it's good, can feel like death apart from encouragement. If there's no encouragement around it, it might feel like death, right? Number four, we all make mistakes, so give lots of grace, right? People are gonna speak ignorantly, people are gonna speak without the whole truth. We all know this, we all do this, so give lots of grace. Thick skin, soft hearts, okay? Last one is this. The five most powerful words you can probably say in this life. I'm sorry, please forgive me so much power in that because it takes us back to the redemption piece, okay? Cave Table Road, I wanna invite the the worship team to come on up. Cave, here we go. Um, We talk about Cave Table Road here because we talk about authentic conversation with God, authentic conversation with each other, and authentic conversation with the world. And every time we leave here, we wanna give you things to be thinking about how to incorporate the holistic life that you are called to outside of the walls of this church. So first thing, wrestle with God this week, cave time. Do I love to build up or tear down? Okay, I don't need to explain these a ton. Second one, uh, do I love to heal or to harm? And maybe it's not just love, but what's my tendency? How do I, how do I have a tendency to react in moments? Yeah. And the third one is this, do I steward or squander? Right, do I do that? <laughs> do I love to, to steward my words well or do I squander them? Do I just let them go? Do I say something and bloop, 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 there they go? <laughs> right, and I just don't think about them. That's cave, table. Here's my thought, what if we all as a church prayed this scripture this week on our own collectively and as families? Romans 15, five through six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, collective, plural, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, that together, you see that word together? Together. That you would, that you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray that this week? What if we all prayed that this week? Last one is road. Can I just encourage you to take it to the streets? What happens here leaves here, right? Don't let what we do here just become about Salem, but let's be a people who bring encouragement and celebration everywhere we go. Here's my question, guys. What if Salem was the most welcoming church, the most encouraging, life-giving church in all of Fargo-Moorhead? It's pretty awesome to aspire to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you and we wrap up our service this morning. And as I think about the cane, <laughs> illustration. I know it's funny, but, but God, would, would you be building us? We have a rich history here at Salem of loving on one another and loving on our community and loving on the world. Would you just continue to build that, that we wouldn't be a people who kick out the cane, but that we would be a people who enter in to the struggle, to the mess of life, and, and who, who meet people in the struggle with grace and love and forgiveness as we listen to each other, as we encourage each other. Those would be our first words to each other. May we celebrate who you are and what you're doing in this world, and may we just lift each other up and build each other up 
right? So that it gives grace to all who hear as it fits the occasion. Lord, we love you. We're so, so thankful for the gospel that makes this even feasible. But as we leave this place, as we sing and leave, Lord, would you take with us the same love to the world? Amen.